back, guys. You're listening to the Watts Podcast, World of Athletic Therapy, Training, and Sports. I'm Luca, and I'm here along with Tyler and Joseph. Hi. Whoop, whoop. Hey. We're back again. We're back at the CJLO Studios for our first episode of 2018. Took us a while. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day also. Oh, yeah, true. Oh, yeah. Today's yeah, that, that thing. And we're obviously here. Uh, so if you haven't checked out our other episodes, make sure to go on our iTunes, brand new. Google Play and SoundCloud. It's the Watts Podcast. It's a double T. And obviously you can also find them on our Facebook and Instagram accounts. Alright, so today we have a really special guest. Tyler, do you want to do this introduction as usual? For sure. Yeah, so uh, guys, today we have with us uh, Bianca Bridget Rock. And so she graduated uh, Concordia University in 20, uh, 2011. Uh, she's a certified athletic therapist, and she is also the scientific director of the C Center, which is the uh, Centre de Commotion Cérébrale uh, en Ottawa. We kind of we have her here today. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank Thanks for having much. me. And uh, so yeah, so that's kind of the things we're going to talk about today uh, with her is how uh, uh, the career path that she's taken uh, after graduation in 2011. So I guess we could start off. Uh, Bianca, you could just tell us a bit about yourself, uh, what got you here, and like your career path, per se. Um, yeah, so I grew up in Baie-Como. It's a small town on the north shore of Quebec. Um, and I was always super involved in sports, and I always had a knack for everything science as well. So mm -hmm. I really like the whole world of sports medicine, health science, etc. So then I moved to Montreal to pursue my CJEP um, at Dawson College. So Austin. blue, the blue wave. Right? <laughs> the blue wave. Um, and uh, then after I made the decision, so I, I was at that point of where do I want to go in my career? So like every good student athlete, I was like physio, AT, what do I want right. to do? And then after I kind of weighed, weighed the pros and cons and I decided to, uh, to go into AT. So in 2008, I started up at Concordia as a first year and then graduated in 2011. So that's pretty much what got me to Concordia at that point. But how did you uh, find out? Because I know back then, athletic therapy was still developing. What was like, like, how did you find out about that? Um, my sister's friend was actually in the program at the time. Mm -hmm. And when I was trying to figure out what where I wanted to go, I thought I didn't really know much about athletic therapy. So then I actually went to have coffee with him. And he's the one that kind of told me, like, oh, this okay. is what the structure is. And I had actually fractured my elbow when I was like 17 I think 18 just before uh, having to apply and I got treated by an AT at mm. the Miguel like sports clinic and she also told me about like the that's wonderful the world of AT yeah that's <laughs> it so she promoted our fine uh our fine uh, domain. domain so yeah that's pretty much what got me in interested in AT cool and so uh, you went here for was it 2008 to till 2011 yeah uh, it was graduated. a three-year program at that time three years yeah. okay Right, so that changed. Um, and so from there, what happened upon graduation? Um, I moved to Gatineau, um, where I worked in a gym. Mm -hmm. And I shortly after um, started working for a sports medicine clinic in Gatineau as well. So then I um, decided to um, put the gym aside as a personal trainer and then focus my um, my whole work on, the, on working as an AT. Um, and then... I started working as the high performance director of that sports medicine clinic. So then I started working with okay. the sports teams and mostly the athletes and kind of building up that that portion in collaboration with my colleagues. Okay. So I started working as an AT and after I think three, four years of working field and clinic, okay. um, that's kind of what brought me to going back to school. So I had finished my, my bachelor's. I was working on the field as a healthcare professional, working with athletes, working with the active population in general. And then I noticed um, as I was working with athletes that there was this kind of, there was a lot of competent professionals with regards to concussion care, okay. but there was this kind of hole with regards to the treatment plan. So it was always kind of referring somebody, but who do we refer them to? And then mm. this lack of communication, which is really important in concussion management, is being able to have this kind of person that's in charge, this leader in charge of maintaining and uh, collaborating to be able to make sure that the person has an optimal outcome. And there was more and more research on concussions that like it's kind of blew up at that time okay. more and more so then i decided to go back to school and i went uh, and completed a master's degree in um the neurotrauma impact science laboratory at the university of ottawa which is um uh, 
bases the research on concussion, specifically uh, the biomechanical component of concussion research. So mm-hmm. everything to do with like the impact rotations, the accelerations, um, how um, the brain responds to the different impacts. Um, and there's a part of the team works on uh, uh, creating different helmet technology to kind of try to decrease the risk associated with head trauma in sport. So I completed my master's um, in... Uh, no, I don't know the years, but it, <laughs> like it must. Have been, I think it was in twenty. Was it in two thousand and sixteen because I know you. The the thesis that you wrote was uh, in two thousand sixteen. Yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. it. So that's my, that was my <laughs> master's thesis. Yeah, that was probably so like from two thousand fifteen to two thousand sixteen. Yeah, there you go, stalking I, I, me. That's I, 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 I knew I, did, I knew I you would have done your research. Then. I read it, and so when you started mentioning the rotational acceleration, so that's it exactly. So yeah, my master's thesis was uh, looking at uh, brain tissue deformation and dynamic head response in uh, rugby shoulder-to-head impacts. I was analyzing uh, head impacts in rugby, the uh, National Rugby League. Um, And then so I did that from 2015 to 2016, and then I started my PhD. And I'm currently uh, completing my PhD in the same uh, lab. So it's during, when I, in 2016, when I finished um, my master's and I started my PhD, that's when I kind of realized, well, there are lots of people, and I had... uh, networked and met a lot of really, really great people that had a lot of interest with uh, in concussions management treatment. And then I um, kind of came up with this crazy idea of why don't we try to open a center that is specialized in concussion management. Yeah. So it was a unique center that wasn't a service that was offered. There's, like I mentioned, lots of competent healthcare professionals, but mm-hmm. uh, we're working in different uh, areas, different clinics, uh, whether it be the uh, public or uh, private sectors. And I really wanted to kind of try to get these people together so that we can create this one clinic where the person can come in and get uh, managed with an interdisciplinary uh, team of healthcare professionals. Mm -hmm. So that's where the C-Center came up. So um, the C-Center, it stands for, well, in English, Concussion Center, which is pretty basic. (laughs) But in French, it's actually an acronym. So it's Centre de Commotion Cérébrale, Éducation, Neuropsychologie, Thérapie de Sport, Réadaptation et Évaluation. It's like every okay. letter yeah, stands for every something. Letter. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's, what, so that's why I didn't say that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it's essentially, that's it. so we have, a, um, so then I kind of came up with this idea. I approached um, my uh, my partners with this idea, and uh, then we kind of went from there, made the, um, the business plan, started approaching the, the people. We wanted to really make, have a team of uh, experts and he- healthcare professionals that would really be able to help us out and offer the Udaway, Ottawa region um, the possibility of having this kind of one-stop center to be able to provide appropriate treatment and management for concussions. That's awesome. That's really cool. And yeah, we like I think that's the main reason why we really wanted to, to have you on this on this podcast was really we were so impressed with just the idea of uh, like having the idea of start starting this this whole C center. And um, and so, uh, like, I guess you just went over how, how that idea started up. Mm-hmm. Um, and you talked about how you networked around to find professionals. Um, how how difficult was it to, to really build that team of uh, specialists around you and have them, you know, tell them to, to come and work for, for this brand new, brand new center that you were creating? So what helped me out a lot is that's it, being surrounded by these really great people so it's a really a team it was a team effort to kind of put this together so um like i mentioned before i like i was working i'm still working for a sports medicine center Mm -hmm. so there was already some people that were uh involved with that center that did have those uh competencies and that did have it's not necessarily a question of competencies but also having the interest and kind of the uh the passion of wanting to pursue in that because concussions it's an ever-growing and ever-changing um uh, topic so if you're not staying up to date like regularly if you wait a year before kind of coming back and trying to update There's you're already changes, like years yeah. behind exactly so it's important that we wanted people that really had the interest and had the kind of the drive to want to mm. stay on top of the uh, scientific research and to be able to not just kind of come in treat a patient and then leave it's having I that see. communication in between so yeah. Yeah, with regards cool. to the networking it was really um like i mentioned uh, before like it's going to get those people but your profs probably did tell you like networking is important and mm-hmm. I hadn't realized how important it was right, when, yeah, until yeah. I left right so then mm-hmm. it's kind of <laughs> as I did events and I um actually in my research lab well the research lab that I'm doing my PhD in um 
there's an AT that's also doing it with me, so Janico okay. Maurice. I'm going to shout out to her before you get to do your shout out. So she, um, so yeah, so she's doing, completing her PhD and she's a certified AT, so she graduated uh, two years before I did, so I already had her that I'm like, you need to come uh, join our team. So, okay. that, so it was kind of getting these people and it's, um, I'd been in the field for five, six years working uh, on the field in, in clinics and then it's kind of just having that um like reaching out to people mm-hmm. and then surrounding yourself with really good, amazing and talented people. And mm-hmm. I guess it just kind of went from there. That's really cool. Did, did you get any like, uh, you know, upon contacting some people, were there any any of them that were kind of really um, doubting the idea of it? Because I guess it was like a brand new project and you had to like build this. this it was a brand new thing. And like that was kind of my question. Was it was there any um said that? Yeah, like setbacks that you had to to come across, like in finally like getting this whole team together. Um, well, like in any project, you're always gonna have setbacks. Yeah. Um, any in particular, I wouldn't say no, but I, I guess sometimes it's just if you're really passionate about something, you really have this idea. Right. I'd have to say that so when we went, I approached the doctors with this idea. Mm-hmm. It's kind of how are we going to structure it? Because the thing is, if you have 12 different people working on one file, like, and I'm just obviously, like, mm-hmm. the thing is to have one file, like, if one person needs to be seen by the doctor, have an ET treating them, see the kinesiologist, and, like, there's lots, it was kind of showing that this is our structure, this is how we want to approach it, and kind of, I essentially went to sit down and have coffee with every single person, right. <laughs> and then kind of just threw out the idea, and then after when they demonstrated interest, then I kind of went, right, okay. and um, so it was just... Um, but the people that I went to see, I knew that, first of all, they had that specific expertise. Okay. And I was just kind of crossing my fingers, hoping that they were ready <laughs> to, like, jump in on the project with me. So. That's awesome. So, um, sorry. Yeah, so, essentially, right there, you mentioned uh, a couple of healthcare practitioners. Uh, but what were what would be, uh, all, like, the wide, what, what would be the variety of healthcare professionals that are there working at your clinic and yeah. that you had... Talk so we have um, three sports medicine doctors. Okay. Uh, we have a neuropsychologist, um, a psychoeducator, two kinesiologists. I don't want to miss anybody. I'm going to get people write angry letters. Yeah. Um, uh, so two kinesiologists, a massage therapist. That's also an auxiliary nurse. Um, yeah. We have an osteopath, three certified athletic therapists, two physiotherapists, um, I'm really hoping I'm not forgetting anybody. And we also collaborate with uh, optometrists that are uh, specialized in neurooptometry. Mm, okay. Um, and I think, oh, and we also have a physiotherapist, uh, Jennifer O'Neill. She's completing her PhD at UOttawa as well, but she's mm. um, specialized in moderate to severe uh, TBI, so traumatic brain injuries. Mm-hmm. So she's kind of a consultant. If ever we do have cases that are a little um, outside of our scope of practice, then we can consult with her to allow um, to provide resources to our patients that we can't necessarily help directly if they're outside of our scope of practice, yeah. but so that we can kind of have that um, our consultant that yeah. can help us out with the more uh, severe cases. That's very cool. That's a extensive that's, team. Yeah. That's like yeah. the whole package. Right there. <laughs> well, we are we actually are missing, um, and we're working on uh, adding. And so we're missing the uh, mental health component. So mm. we're um, working hard um, to have a, psych- a psychologist come in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and also we're always oh, open to different uh, healthcare professionals as well. So we're not closed out. That's like, we're always open to, to uh, expanding our team and things are always going to change with time. And for example, if all of a sudden uh, a specific domain or research demonstrates that another domain is important, for example, I'm just saying anything like a dentist yeah. is yeah. really important, then we're going to always try to okay. stay on top of the current research and make sure that we can provide um the like best com- yeah, exactly. Complete That's management really cool. for our patients. Okay. Like, how does an athlete end up at C-Center? Is there a way, like, when they do end up there, what what are some of the things that you guys kind of put them through before you, like, what are some things you do with the athlete that ends up there? Um, so we do have partnerships with uh, different organizations and schools. So, for example, uh, the Heritage College and the Cégep de l'Outaouais, which are the two uh, colleges in um, Gatineau. So we do have partnerships, so we work directly with their athletes. So it's in collaboration with the uh, sports medicine clinic that I work for as well, so Medispar Physio. Um, so they already had the contract, and then we collaborated. So we kind of... Um, partnered with them to provide um, concussion management as well for the athletes. Uh, so if, for example, we do have a therapist on the field from mid physio, then they're going to refer the athletes mm-hmm. to our clinic. Um, or that's what we do have um, either 
call people that call in or we have referrals from other healthcare professionals. So whether it be doctors or, for example, physiotherapists in the region, um, the way it works is when they come in, we have an initial assessment. So pretty much like any um, uh, any injury. However, like it is important to mention that concussions aren't like any injury. No, right. So, yeah, sure. um, who, so sorry, who, who's the one that's coming in to do the initial assessment? Who's uh, completing with, the initial assessment? Uh, yes, it's most uh, mostly athletic therapists mm-hmm. when the patient falls within the scope of practice of athletic therapy. So we're gonna have. Um, Either Jenny Cornoyer, Zabed McLean Smith, or I, we're gonna complete okay. it. So those okay. are the three athletic therapists that are uh, working at our center, and that's it. So we're gonna complete it, and if not, when it falls outside of the scope of practice, then it's the physiotherapists that mm-hmm. are gonna um, uh, do the assessment. Do what, the assessment. Okay. Yes. What determines uh, if they fall within your scope of practice? Well, the athletic therapy As- scope of practice. It's athletes' active population in general, so it represents okay. a. W- fairly large mm-hmm. uh, range of, uh, of okay. people. So it's essentially if there's um, inactive population, so the, anything that falls outside of the scope of practice okay. of AT. Yeah. All right. So coming back on what you were uh, explaining, when an athlete comes in, initial assessment done by ATs? ATs, or yeah, it's a therapist. Yeah, exactly. Therapist. And uh, so from there on, obviously, like I guess it depends on uh, every athlete, but uh, is there... Um, like what happens from there? Um, so following the assessment, that's when we uh, uh, provide the recommendations with regards to the optimal treatment plan. And then we refer to the appropriate professionals. So sometimes it's going to be referring the athlete back to their uh, to their family doctor. Sometimes it's going to be, um, for example, if we notice that there's... Um, uh, it all depends on kind of what stage of, of symptoms are at. So we look at the different spheres of concussions. We look at the physical sphere, which is the cervical, ocular, motor, vestibular components. Uh, there is the emotional component as well. So mm. the person has increased anxiety. If they do have uh, mental health uh, aspects that were yeah. already pre-existing or that have kind of come into play, there is also the cognitive component. So the SCAT-5 does include kind of a brief like evaluation of uh, concentration memory. memory yeah. um, and then there's the looking at the sleep patterns. And we also do an extensive uh, analysis of their medical history, looking at their past uh, history of uh uh, concussions and then after with that then we kind of also do a lot of education um, and provide uh, documentation etc and it really kind of depends on the case so sometimes we're going to do a more extensive cervical uh, analysis or we're doing it more extensive mm-hmm. and then we can kind of guide after that initial assessment then we provide a recommendation form so this mm-hmm. is kind of w- what we recommend would be the next steps for your treatment plan okay. and then it kind of goes from there it's like really dependent dep- depending on like what Exactly. So there's no like, oh, the next step is going to see this person. It really depends on Mm -hmm. each individual. Yeah. Yeah. What what I'm curious is is if I'm an athlete and I walk in and I'm going to do the assessment, oh, kind of some of the things that I would perhaps be doing or going through during Mm -hmm. that assessment, or what are some of the things that I would expect? Well, like you guys know the SCAT, right? So for sure the SCAT is incorporated Mm -hmm. into the assessment and then after we just do a more extensive. So there's lots of questions, kind of we want to make see what happened. So it all depends. Did your impact occur two days ago? Did it occur six weeks ago? Um, Where was it? Where What happened essentially? So did you fall, slip down the stairs, hit your head? Were you playing rugby or soccer or whatever? So we really want to kind of analyze and look at the progression of symptoms as well. So there's lots of discussion that occurs. One thing, though, is that, for example, if you had a concussion two days ago, Mm -hmm. our goal during the evaluation is we don't want to increase symptoms, right? So we're going to sometimes increase heart rate or anything like that, yeah. So we kind of adapted. Sometimes we're going to cut the evaluation in two and all depending. So sometimes we're just going to go through the red flags, make sure that there's no... um, uh, immediate reason to send the person to the hospital right. make sure that the person right. is yeah. kind of stable no and then we might yeah. exactly yeah. sometimes we might send them home with specific instructions and then have them come back for example two days later so we can continue so it's really it really there's varies. a lot of factors that play exactly. into who get who they get referred to and and what, what exactly how steps the, you take with exactly them. how okay. the evaluation is going to proceed because it's really dependent sometimes for example especially with younger athletes they're going to come with their parents so their parents are going to have lots of questions as well so we want to yeah. really make Absolutely. sure that we um, provide them with the appropriate information and have them leave with kind of the the next steps for them to follow so that they're properly guided. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on just a little side note, I'm just curious uh, in terms of ratio of uh, like athletes to general population, uh, what uh, what are the numbers you have right now? 
um, I'd say maybe like 60-40. So we see more okay. um, athletes. Okay. Um, because it is a lot more like mediatized, right? Is that yeah. a word? Yeah. Mediatized. Yeah. mediatized. <laughs> that, that, that is a word now. <laughs> I, I just there you go. I just invented a word. Mediatized. <laughs> 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 that's it. It's a French word that I know, but um, <laughs> but that's it. So you see a lot more in the media. So sometimes people are gonna be like, "Well, I hit my head," but like, I'm not an athlete. Like mm-hmm. I didn't mm-hmm. like I didn't think I could get a concussion, right. or specifically the indirect impacts, right? So like, if you look, a concussion is the result of a direct or indirect. Force. So it's like biomechanical forces that mm-hmm. lead to this. Um, Whiplash mechanism? Yeah. Or like coup contre coup. Yeah. That's <laughs> it. And then you have this uh, dysfunction, like functional dysfunctions, right? Yeah. But sometimes that's it. If you get, if you slip down the stairs and your bum hits the stairs, you might have this kind of whiplash. Yeah. But then you're going to wake up, like you're going to get up. Your behind is going to hurt. But mm-hmm. then if like two, three hours later, you start having this really big headache, you start feeling nauseous, some people aren't going to kind of put two and two together and be yeah. like oh well maybe it's because of that because yeah. first of all they didn't have a direct impact to the head lots of people don't know that concussions can be okay. like symptoms can present 24 to 48 hours following an impact Absolutely. and specifically that yeah. if it's not a direct impact to the head you can still mm-hmm. uh suffer from a concussion yeah. all right bianca so before we dive back deep into the concussion topic i just want to go back on more of the structure of the c-center because it really is one of a kind and um So we know you are the co-founder of the C-Center. And we also know that right now you occupy the po- the position sorry, of scientific director. And I'm just really curious to know what that entails. So what do you do like on a daily basis? Um, so as scientific director, so I'm also right now, like we're just starting up, right? And the thing is, we're not... Um, our goal is, our primary goal is really just making sure that we offer the kind of the best... Uh, structure for patients so I kind of just try to make sure that everybody everything's coordinated so um, even if I'm not directly involved in a patient's file I try to make sure that like the communication between um, the different healthcare professionals uh, are kind of going smoothly if people need additional resources so um, I help kind of um, just with regards to the structure and kind of the flow of the of the clinic I just make sure that um If somebody needs, for example, to be referred to an optometrist or kind of make sure that everything's flowing well. With regards to the scientific director component, um, as I'm doing my PhD right now, I'm kind of mm-hmm. just headfirst in everything, uh, research and new articles coming out. Right. So whenever something new comes out, often I'm going to send it to all my colleagues, um, make sure that everybody's updated. I, I kind of keep an ear out for that. I make sure that if there's new techniques or making sure that everybody's in um, kind of in on the loop. Already, pretty much everybody is super involved in concussion. So they're usually like, they're like, yeah, 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 yeah we got it. Like, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of just want to make sure that everything, like it's always coming back to wanting to provide like the best um, structure and the best treatments for the patients. Um, and I do kind of make sure that um, like the flow is going uh, well and that if ever anybody needs additional resources or if they want, uh, like if, like right now, currently like concussion management is really like, Lots of counseling, lots of uh, ha- like either hands-on therapy, visual therapy, vi- uh, vestibular, uh, cervical, like manual therapy. So there is like minimal tools that are needed right now. But if, for example, something comes out, then kind of we want to make sure that we're not going to integrate something into the treatment plan or into something that hasn't been validated. So we really want to make sure that we're kind of staying on top of um, like in French call it les données probantes, like scientific research, making sure mm-hmm. everything is validated and we're kind of going from there. So that's okay. kind of my role is to make sure that like the entire structure is um, kind of respecting um, like what would be seen as like the most appropriate, like at least the mm-hmm. ho- most appropriate uh, treatment currently. Awesome. What I'm very curious to know is that Uh, yes, there are the Scat Five. There is the Scat Five. All the return to play stuff is school and learning. But uh, when it comes to more, like you said, like manual therapy or rehab, is there anything out there for therapists that they could use, kind of, to help with the rehab to provide to provide a better, uh, optimal um, rehab for the athlete per se? So, so there is there is a cervical component, and there's more and more research. For example. Let's say if you feel dizzy, sometimes mm-hmm. the dizziness might come. Often people 
quickly go to the vestibular component, so like your inner ear. But there's research that shows that it can come from the neck. It can come also from ocular motor, so like yeah. your eye control. So it's kind of um, determining which one. Determining that's it. And there is lots of continuing education courses that are. Uh, um, yeah. So for example, one of our physiotherapists, Alexandra, she went to do um, her FCAM, which is like the fellowship in manual therapy. So she has that kind of added uh, expertise for um, like the cervical uh, cervical spine mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of that's like going to get in and it's really being able to adapt I, I wouldn't say there's a specific course or a specific um, technique like, technique or anything it's really having that kind of experience and being able to adapt it with regards to the person because it is ends up being for example the neck it's not your brain that causes your neck to have issues right it's yeah. that impact that yeah. kind of that whiplash or yeah. all depending on the, the so then you have that contributing factor and often it's something that's going to kind of show up sometimes immediately or days after or it might be kind of this compensatory mechanism yeah so for example if you're having issues like with your eyes and you might kind of have a, a like, like rotation, a rotation and that's then you might be end up compensating but it's really difficult to say there's this one technique For or sure. this one approach it's really being able to adapt it according to each patient yeah and i guess yeah. you echo something that we we learned in our rehab classes that a lot of the um, a lot of the muscles in your neck they do refer like pain pat or like headaches or per se like to different areas of your brain so it's really I guess tough to figure out what where it's coming from, but like you said, I mm -hmm. guess it really comes with time and expertise. Yeah, and that's it. So good for you, like A plus for <laughs> going back to your course. Well, but that's no, our it is. <laughs> no, and that's it. But it, it is true that it's kind of the, there's not this one way of approaching concussion because sure. there are so many factors that can contribute to persistent symptoms. So there is that kind of initial kind of these protocols that are guidelines with regards to kind of progressively reintegrating to your activities or into specific. So. Like one thing is that we're not going to do a uh, uh, aggressive manual therapy approach from the get go. So there's no specific timeline with regards to when you should start, yeah. but there are well there are depending on what kind of literature you read. But it's sure. something that we're going to follow those recommendations, but then we're going to adapt it based on kind of how the person's feeling and also what's their primary primary concern. So they might have cervical components, but if their main concern or their main uh, complaint is that they're having issues like reading, yeah. then we might kind of modify our plan according to their main um, main complaint, mm -hmm. as long as like we kind of make sure that there's no like things that kind of interlace. So it's really mm -hmm. complex when it, there's like several factors that come into play, yeah, but for sure. it's more a question of listening to the patient, doing a thorough evaluation, and then kind of adapting the treatment plan as you go based mm -hmm. on kind of how the person's responding to, uh, to the different um i guess treatment. well treatment and also uh, there's a big component that's also just managing activities right because mm. you can provide the best th manual therapy but oh, if yeah. they go home and then they spend all day on the computer or if they're sleeping too much too little then it's we kind of need to exactly yeah. that's okay. it well i had another question uh <laughs> <Virgil>. <laughs> with um let's say if it was a problem with the neck is strengthening the neck something that um it would be beneficial to the athlete or is it more like are they able to react to different external forces to keep that to prevent that um, kind of whiplash motion or acceleration deceleration motion oh, so you mean some more for like concussion prevention yeah or there is some research that does say um for example like neck stiffness or neck musculature can contribute to like decreasing kind of absorbing some of the impact yeah. forces there's others for example that it's more um if you can anticipate the impact coming you are going to mm come contract your um your cervical muscle so then that can contribute but it really depends because there's like the way that your brain responds responds is not just like you, you contract there's the linear accelerations and the rotational accelerations yeah. so it depends also how fast the that hit how fast it, uh, the impact occurs what 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 forces are uh, applied to it what location on your head is impacted or indirectly or directly mm. impacted um is it an elbow to the face is it a shoulder to the face so there's all these I impact see. characteristics that can contribute to different outcomes and that's like one of the um the the main um well one element of the research um that i'm contributing to so looking okay. at those different impact characteristics and how they do affect your brain's response following impact okay. so it's kind of yes the neck is a contributing factor but there's different forces and the way well, exactly yeah. so there's okay. plenty so there is some re research that shows that if you do a neck strengthening um 
uh, be program that's it in specific circumstances. I wouldn't um, be able to kind of comment too much onto that because I haven't done extensive yeah, research. Fine. I am actually looking more and more into that. Okay, that's cool. um, but that's it. It is one element that can potentially contribute, but it's not like the only. So if you do plenty of shrugs and kind of work on, <laughs> on doing that, is it going to 100% prevent you from having a For concussion? Sure yeah. No, but there are some elements benefits. that could contribute. That's it. Perfect. So, Bianca, I have looked at uh, your your thesis paper called, well, it's titled A Comparison of Dynamic Response and Brain Tissue Deformation for Ball Carriers and Defensive Tacklers in Professional mm -hmm. Rugby, Shoulder to Head Concussive Impacts. So I've had a chance to, to kind of to kind of read through it and kind of look at some of the stuff, uh, some of the findings, the methods you see. Pages of it, <laughs> <laughs> I saw some pictures long. too. I saw some dummies with some with the head and uh, it, the, the positioning of the head being kind of changed. And so I was, I just kind of wanted to ask some questions about kind of what were the results you found? What were things that you were looking at? How did you, what methods? How did you go about finding those results? Um, so I always had an interest in contact sports. So mm -hmm. I. Um, loved working with football, with rugby. Um, and then after, there's been a lot of research done on football, American football, um, but there was less research uh, when it came to rugby. So um, the research lab that I'm completing my uh, PhD in uh, had a collaboration going on with a researcher uh, in Australia okay. that was looking at more of like the neuropsychological component of um, head impacts. And so he did have video footage of concussive impacts in National Rugby League. So that's what I, um, so I had that kind of data to, to go from. Okay. So then after I kind of dived into the research and looked kind of what has been done, there's um, several researchers that have done a lot of um, analysis, specifically Macintosh and uh, his team of research have done a lot of impact uh, research with regards to the kind of the scrum caps. Are there any like benefits mm -hmm. of wearing scrum caps with regards to decreasing risk of uh, head injury, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But um, so then I kind of looked at, okay, well, there's different positions, there's different tackling, but kind of, do you want to be, if you're going to have to impact somebody, do you want to be the one holding the ball or do you want to be the one tackling? And it's kind of, I wanted to see, is there a difference? Is mm -hmm. there something that's going to kind of come from that if you're the impactor or the impactee, I guess? So it's to look at, because um, there was kind of conflicting um, research uh saying that, okay, well, the ball carrier is at a greater risk and no other researcher saying, no, it's a defensive tackler that is at a greater risk of um uh, suffering from a concussion. Mm -hmm. So then it was kind of looking, well, okay, well, what are the contributing factors? So there's external components that kind of were out of our control. So like, let's say if your team is winning, then obviously the ball carrier is going to have the ball more often. But like, then you have the defensive tackler and then there's like fatigue yeah, and also fatigue predisposition and uh, athletes that did have history. So that's kind of something that was all like potential external factors that can come into play. But I was looking specifically um, those impact characteristics that I did talk about, kind of the location of impact, the position of the head, yeah, the speed that's coming in. So uh, what I did for the analysis was uh, look at um, over, if I'm not mistaken, this is two years ago, so <laughs> a little hard for me to remember. Um, but um, that's just, I was looking at two different, um, over a season and a half, like, no, actually it was one season of the NRL, looking at all the... Um, concussive impacts and then I kind of went to take those that had shoulder to head impacts that were involved and then through um, our laboratory uh, technology I was able to get the velocity and then do the reconstructions in the lab to be able to see kind of okay well if the shoulder is impacted at this specific um, angle at this specific speed how the brain responds to that mm. and then I did the comparison between the shoulder carrier uh, the shoulder the ball carriers <laughs> and the, the defensive tacklers yeah Cool. And, and so you found, I guess, that there was no really any significant difference? Or yeah. So um, specifically with regards to concussive impacts. So I wasn't looking at non-injury. Non it was uh, only concussive impacts. So it wasn't, it was essentially what would have potentially caused a difference is the position of the arm. Because the ball carrier is going to kind of be protecting the ball. So their arm is going to be stuck to their body as they're going in. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of going to shrug off the person when they're coming in so you call that the ball carrier fend mm -hmm. so as like the defensive tackler comes in they kind of rotate and kind of try to fend them off with their shoulder yeah. and that's when those impacts would occur um but when the defensive tackler comes in they're like bent down and their arm is out so essentially what would have potentially caused a difference is either they're coming in faster they're getting impacted at different locations or the position of their okay. arm is causing what's known as compliance it's kind of like the rigidity rigidity of the system 
Um, so I did have some rugby players come into the lab and impact the head forms. We use this kind mm -hmm. of dummy like you, you, you saw. And I had them come in and there wasn't any difference with regards to kind of the rigidity of the system. And then, so okay. long story short, there's no difference. So what can contribute to those potential differences? There are like different factors. Like I mentioned, either like history or like if the player, the team is winning. And then, then there's those kind of external components that can kind of contribute to that okay. difference that was shown in the literature. But mm -hmm. from a biomechanical perspective, from the kind of um, data that I collected and yeah. what I analyzed, there wasn't yeah, any no difference. Okay. Yeah. Huh, and just just for our listeners, uh, you were working with data from the NRL, yeah. and so that's rugby league. Yeah. Um, it's pr uh, probably a sport that in North America is uh, uh, is pretty, um, I guess, unknown because people know more about rugby union. Yeah. And so, if uh, if any of you guys want to check out, uh, go on YouTube, just watch some highlights from the NRL. It's probably the roughest. Uh, sport you can watch out there the impacts are are crazy really big impacts and um so yeah just wanted to to give that out for our listeners yeah, yeah. so essentially the best way of preventing a concussion is not getting hit in the head right yeah. or like not having a like direct or indirect impact to the head and contact sport it's something that for sure at a younger age or the way that coaches are um teaching young young children and the athletes as they progress into their sport so obviously tac tackling technique has a, a is a major component in helping to prevent um injury there are some accidental contacts or contacts that kind of can't really be avoided um but for sure like the technique that is that's included and player experience also comes into play um if you can see the impact coming, like I mentioned with the neck, yeah. that kind of is also um, helpful, but that's it. So there are some, like I know, for example, with um, Football Quebec, like they have like the safe tackling workshops for the yeah. uh, the coaches. And like, that's like a fully other other side note, but um, that's something like more and more um, what's important is kind of to have a skill level or a skill set that's um, going to try to assure that people are approaching a tackle in uh, the, right way. the right way and also learning how to get tackled and kind of protecting yourself as an athlete as well yeah yeah so, so something that that is coming to mind uh, after talking about that as well is that uh, we have uh, the ctsq conference that's going to be coming up uh, in april and so there was also uh dr schwartz uh who is an athletic uh oh, yeah. trainer and two years ago he did uh uh, he was one of the speakers at the CTSQ conference, and he discussed his research about uh, helmet, helmet, helmets uh, for football uh, for football players at the University of New Hampshire. He tried to look at helmet helmetless tackling training program, mm -hmm. and to see how uh, adding in uh, practices without a helmet for tackling would uh, kind of Im improve uh, the technique and mm -hmm. see if that would reduce uh, the amount of concussions that happened over the season as well. So that was something else that uh, a research study that he did and uh, looked at. So, yeah, it's, that's pretty it's, cool. yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, that's really interesting. And that's it. The, um, there are research that shows that if you're wearing equipment, then you kind of have this sense of safety. So you are going to potentially impact harder. That's it. It's like, let's say you're not going to go yeah, like yeah. at a – high velocity head-to-head -head in rugby you won't see that as much as for example as you see it but that's it there's different mechanisms or events that can lead to head trauma and they do vary in football or rug rugby if we use kind of the helmet versus mm -hmm. helmetless um it's not my domain of expertise or like it's not the kind of my field of yeah. research looking mm -hmm. at that comparison it is something that is super interesting um but that's the techniques used in shoulder tackling in um, rugby are different than those used mm, in football. tackling in football. So rugby, you're going to have that kind of wrap. Yeah. And if you play, let's oh, say, yeah. rugby yeah. union versus rugby um, league, league, it is different because you have different, let's say, you're not going to have scrums or like contestations mm. and stuff like that in the two um, in rugby league. So like kind of it's really important to approach like trying to decrease risk of injury in sports, really sport dependent. And that's it. Everybody's kind of trying to the the main goal of most research, specifically clinical, is to kind of, kind of try to decrease the risk. Yes, yeah. And it's now trying to figure out well how, what's the best way of going about that. That's why there's years and years and years of research to come. So <laughs> if you guys want to hop on the train of concussion <laughs> research, <laughs> that'd be great. And because you were you also mentioned earlier about helmets, and since we're talking about helmet versus helmetless tackling and whatnot, um, there's a lot of talk about. The, these brand new technologies coming out and um, 
so what's your take on uh um i guess the new devices with like helmet protection and whatnot for for football i don't have a take per se and like that's it like i i think everybody's main goal is to kind of try to decrease risk mm -hmm. so like i mentioned before like with the impacts everything's going to be it's going to vary so if you try to decrease risk doing a, using a specific model it needs to be kind of based on like where you're getting hit so one of the main contributing components of having a concussion is the rotational acceleration. Mm -hmm. So let's say you might be able to decrease the risk if you get hit head on, but then if you get hit just a little to the side, that can oh, kind of yeah. also change things. Okay. And that's what these um, uh, researchers and different companies are doing to kind of try to find the best approach to, to decreasing that specific mm -hmm. risk. Um, there's lots of, um, like, there's specific protocols um, that are put into place to, to look at helmet designs. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of this expanding field. There's lots of um, new helmets that are coming out, and I guess they're always just trying to make them better and yeah. um, improving the, the model. Um, currently, like, there's no one... Like I mentioned, like, you, you don't want to have a concussion, <laughs> like, try not to yeah. get hit. Like, that's pretty much... <laughs> it's simple. It's kind of crude. It's broad. But the thing is, that's it. It's like there's risk. There's some circumstances, some environments that do lead to greater risk. And then it's kind of trying to look at the different approaches. So one of the approaches, like we mentioned, for example, is looking at a strengthening component, like the injury prevention from a musculoskeletal aspect. And then after there's the protective equipment that can come into play, um, mm -hmm. then there's just athlete education, um, working on their technique, their tackling techniques. There's putting a lot of emphasis on, okay, if you have potential symptoms or if you're not feeling, you need to kind of, um, what was that uh, campaign, uh, Speak Out? Um, oh, um, uh, yeah. it, was it the bell? No. No, it was with... It was Team Up, Speak Up, which is the kind oh. of like being t there for your, for your teammates if ever you notice that they do have signs of a concussion yeah. and kind of, yeah, so yeah, lots yeah. of, education with regards to like yeah that was not but um that's it's like a lot of emphasis needs to be put on athlete education because currently there's no specific way of directly preventing mm -hmm. um and you kind of want to be proactive so like like i mentioned there's plenty of different tools that are coming into place and i think there's a lot of research that still needs to be done with helmet technology and with um, uh, the different methods that have yeah. been uh, put out. There's lots and lots of research that still needs to be done. Um, and they're improving as uh, years progress with the different models. But I think that's it. Currently, fast identification of concussion and rapid intervention with regards to like, the different professionals that are surrounding the teams are, um, I guess, one of the... Optimal. Yeah, the best, like the optimal way to um, <laughs> kind of to structure and like to, to provide. So as a, if you uh, withdraw an athlete quickly or any person quickly and then give them the education, give them the kind of the treatment plan so they can return progressively to their activities. Like, like currently, that seems to be one of the best, best approaches yeah. to, to do so. You can buy the best helmet that's is marketed on um and of course like appropriate equipment is something that is important yeah. in injury prevention mm -hmm. but i guess it's multifactorial so there's plenty yeah. of yeah. Uh, so components that come yeah. exactly so if yeah. you have the best helmet or what can be marketed as it's the best, the best helmet, helmet but then you're doing head-on tackling and you're not taking like protecting yeah, you, yourself you or feel it. invincible because well, of it that's it so there is research that shows that by having equipment you're going to tackle harder for example mm -hmm. but it's really varying so right now there's no kind of one size fits all approach to concussion yeah. either in the treatment but also with prevention yeah. so it is kind of taking all these aspects putting them together and then trying to best protect or best prevent um, yeah. athletes from getting injured so i do have a question that i've been um, very curious about uh like you said th there is no one size fits all like uh, with uh prevention or, or rehab per se but um and because there's so many factors, like you said, the rotational a aspect, where they get hit, um, how many, like, um, the weight, like, how fast they're running and stuff like that. Uh, but with regards to history, um, if, especially for people like, like boxers, for say, they get repeated trauma to their head constantly on a, like, a pretty... All the time. Yeah. yeah, all the time. <laughs> um, is there a limit to how many concussions can someone sustain? And 
what you, like what's your intake on like boxing? That's a stuff? perfect segue into my PhD thesis. So we spoke. That's perfect. Actually, I um that's it's like my master's was on the shoulder to head impacts. Currently, mm-hmm. I'm looking at um head impacts, but not only the those that lead to potential concussive uh, uh, outcomes, mm-hmm. but also looking at that kind of repetitive. So the, the next stream of research right now is mm-hmm. kind of aimed towards the subconcussive component okay. of it. So now we've all heard of the CTE, the chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Mm-hmm. So it's like that mm-hmm. neurodegenerative uh, disease that's caused from... Um, repetitive impacts in sports and more and more research has shown that it's not necessarily repetitive concussions but also repetitive impacts so there's this potentially cumulative effect there's once again lots and lots of research that still needs to be uh, done on that um one of the main components of my research i'm looking at um head impacts in soccer so european football oh, like um, the that's it with the heading so that's easier because it's one of the only sports that does have that kind of purposeful head impact that's mm. integrated in this the, the structure yeah. of the gameplay exactly um but that's it there's so much it's kind of like concussions like there's all this area of research that needs to be done and now mm-hmm. it's kind of shed light on the potential uh, uh effects of those subconcussive impacts so. okay how, how far into it are you? Because that sounds super interesting with the so- your, your Stay tuned. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that's it. So I'm um, completing my second year of my uh, PhD. So there's uh-huh. lots of work to be done. And okay. that's it. I'm um, that's it, kind of working on that right now. Um, I'm hoping to uh, be able to contribute to the body of literature uh, with regards to that. So it's not only like looking at the concussive impacts, but also the subconcussive and kind of seeing once again, is there a way of decreasing risk? And that's okay. kind of always what it comes to is yeah. mm-hmm. you want to add information, kind of a piece to the puzzle that just keeps on getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, so there isn't really like a, like a, like a number, like if someone had like six, six concussions, like they should be like kind of pulled out of sports or if they had seven or eight. That's where the, um, medical expertise of specialized doctors as well as neuropsychologists can come into play. Um, There is research that has shown that um, three concussions and more, there is an increased risk of, for example, suffering from uh, um, mental health uh, issues. So, for example, if I'm not mistaken, I don't want to, don't nobody quote me on this, but let's say there was like a threefold increase of suffering from depression after the third concussion. So there's other components that come into play. There are um, pre-existing conditions that can kind of increase complications let's say like let's make the uh the outcome a little more complex so things can come into play but that's it um having like a full neurocognitive assessment if for example you are um you've had several concussions then it is something that would need to be appropriately addressed and that's it and it's to look at kind of are there persisting symptoms are you um sustaining symptoms without necessarily having impacts that would have okay i see caused those symptoms before and and it's the thing is you don't want to kind of get to that point either and yeah for sure there's just like you can have long-term negative effects following one concussion you can have that like so it's really hard to tell and the thing is it's not like oh keep on going until you've hit this point yeah it's always kind of yeah yeah. so it's kind of looking into what's how can i prevent comes back to prevention exactly always prevention (laughs) that's it's the best way of yeah currently and that's it like Speak to me maybe in six months. I'm going to say something different. So it's currently that's it from what okay. we know. And the thing is, there's more and more research being For put sure. on. So eventually that's it. Now you, there's lots of biomarker research, kind of like, oh, we, can we do a blood test on the side of the of the field to see if there's like this way mm-hmm. of diagnosing or I detecting see. specific uh, biomarkers either in your blood and your CSF. Um, yeah, uh, so there's plenty of different, um, but th- once again, there's so much research that still needs to be done before getting mm-hmm. to that point. But we're kind of, there's, hundreds and thousands of researchers that are kind of yeah I get doing that right now so it's still extremely young we're like in mm-hmm. the baby the stage of yeah that one stage of McGill Ace actually we're McGill, McGill Ace oh yeah <laughs> so that's it it's like okay, and that's cool. why like my my PhD is interesting but is it gonna solve the answer to subconcussive impacts no and it's kind of like you want to exactly it's a contribution that that one piece to the puzzle and then hoping that everybody can kind of build from that and continue going down the road so and you and you did mention um sorry because i because i don't i don't personally know about it if you guys know but you mentioned cte which is uh basically if you get like more hits to to your head that there are 
neurodegenerative changes in your brain that's gonna eventually happen is that what um it is? it's a little more complex than that because the thing is once again it's cte is even more in like it's baby um well it's, well baby stages not necessarily but it's more like what we know about it and because it's been essentially like i'm gonna do a quick history of yeah, uh, cte so essentially it was found in um mainly boxers before like in mm. the 1920s if i'm not mistaken and it was called punch drunk so being punch, punch drunk it's like you drunk. get hit and then you're kind of just like and they were saying for example um right. muhammad ali mm-hmm. like mm. if you analyze his brain potentially yeah. uh that's something that would have potentially contributed to his parkinson's like symptoms yeah mm-hmm. um so it's pretty much an early onset of dementia-like symptoms. Mm. So instead of occurring, let's say, in your late 60s or whenever that, like oh, later it's on, er- it's early onset, onset exactly. So you I can see it as early as in the 30s, 40s. And the thing yeah. is, is that um, it was initially thought to just be kind of this, it was found in boxers, in um, people that had suffered um, uh, abuse. So people that, for example, had gotten in uh, uh, abusive abu- exactly abusive relationships and also in headbangers so head uh, peop- yeah so it's um, this like mental rock dis- concerts like headbangers no <laughs> no um, so people that do have conditions where they're going to be actually hitting their head repetitively against the wall oh, yeah okay. Okay. so um, and then after uh, if you watch the film Concussion with Will Smith and uh, that's Smith. it so it's Bennett Amalu um, he's the uh physician um and researcher that uh, coined the term cte um mm-hmm. well depending on the sources that's kind of the, <laughs> yeah. the what was presented yeah. in the movie um and that's where he analyzed a nfl player's um brain and he found that there was this um uh well it's a t- it's known as a tauopathy so there's this kind of uh specific protein in the brain. I'm not going to go into the specifics <laughs> with regards yeah. to that, but that's it. There's these yeah. specific biomarkers and specific brain structures, and you might have a white matter um, um, changes. So with regards to the structure, the function of the brain. So essentially you can have um, the early onset is going to be, for example, irritability, like um, difficulty controlling rage, and then after it can lead to like those progressive stages with regards to CTE. Currently, it's only diagnosed postmortem, which means is when they do an they analyze the brain once the person has passed and okay, they can I diagnose see. it but they're trying to find a way of diagnosing it earlier, earlier. I see. Um, oh. and there's more and more research uh, okay. coming on really cool. um, so before they were saying oh it's only in NFL players you need to be pro then they found it in uh, college football players and now they're finding it not only in football but they've uh, found it um, from what I've seen so far in eight cases of soccer players they found mm. it also in hockey oh. players and rugby players so there's more and more research <laughs> so there's lots of focus on football because it kind of came out and now more and more athletes are donating their brains to the cause oh. but that's it there's still extensive research that needs to be done because um, it is a new field yeah, exactly yeah, so it's been new. known for several uh, decades but now there's kind of a spotlight that's been put on that and now there's that's like, more and more research that's co- being completed um, one of the main uh, researchers is Anne McKee um, so there's lots of research that's coming out of her labs um, so where they're going to be doing um, uh, biopsies of the brain tissue and kind of analyzing that okay that's really cool and before before we move on to Joseph's uh you know, uh, star question. Um, would you let your kid play football? Oh. That's my question. <laughs> Damn you. <laughs> can, I, can I put <laughs> a veto? <laughs> can I do a veto on that? That's a very... <laughs> you just dropped like a whole ton on this podcast. <laughs> Boom. Boom. <laughs> That's a very, um, very interesting question. Um, um, there are several benefits uh, to team sports. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Like I mentioned, that's it. There's ways of decreasing. Uh, <laughs> 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 Good one. Um, I should have seen that one coming. Um, I didn't see that one coming at all. Depending on the structure and the way that it's uh, presented, and also I think that not only, like I was saying, there's like m- it's multifactorial with kind of concussion treatment and management. Mm-hmm. I think structuring like a support team around an athlete is very important so based on like the coaching staff the medical staff uh the team manager the parents and there's this kind of whole team support staff that's kind of surrounding the the athlete Mm -hmm. um so i don't have kids right now and i'd rather wait maybe like a few years before kind of answering (laughs) that question if you don't mind you have to have kids to know (laughs) that's it i'm gonna it ends up being that's a personal decision there's pros and cons there's benefits and risks associated with each activity that you play And that you participate in. Um, so I guess it's a personal decision that mm-hmm. I don't have to make right now because right, I yeah. don't have uh, <laughs> children. Um, so maybe in like 
a few years time maybe you can come back and ask me that but for <laughs> okay. now I'm going to kind of abstain abstain <laughs> from answering that question <laughs> uh, okay oh, that was good <laughs> that, that was funny uh, Joe you want to c- come in with your famous question oh we're okay we're going to do that okay um, so usually to everyone who comes in the podcast I usually ask this question um, uh, if you um, if old if uh, not older, older I keep saying that but <laughs> if if present Bianca had to give advice to younger Bianca is there something you would give like what like what would you say what would you this wish is you for knew, today's or... students <laughs> yeah today's for, students yeah. oh you can take a little moment to yeah, think, I'll think about, about it. that that's like a really good oh. question um abstain <laughs> <laughs> i'll abstain for that as well <laughs> no um well that's it i think it's um i would have wanted to maybe even take more advantage of the um experience and expertise of not only like the teachers around but the kind of the um, people that I worked with, that I interned with. Um, mm-hmm. I was kind of trying to soak up everything, but I don't think you realize kind of the opportunity to, you have to mm-hmm. have these, like, professors that do have extensive experience that have, like, also, like, research-wise, but clinical-wise, and kind of trying to... Pick their brain. Yeah, pick their brain and kind of go in and get recommendations and see. And also, um, I think having listened even more when they were kind of talking about networking, like, mm-hmm. I kind of figured That's that so out <laughs> later on. Like more and more I was realizing the importance of it, but like networking is so important. So not only to kind of pick and learn from these people that have so much experience and that have like, like you're interviewing me and I'm like honored that you're doing this. And I'm like, oh, there's so many people that have like way more experience than I do. And that have like these really uh, great um, career paths. And like, so it is something I find that it's kind of picking the brain and trying to get like as much information and going into like kind of looking at their path and kind of where I they see. went through and what worked for them, what didn't work for them. And also not only from a pathway, but also like their different experience. Everybody kind of has different approaches to treatment assessment and yeah. picking, I guess tr- picking their brains a bit more. I, yeah. I think I would have wanted that. Cause like right now I work with a wonderful team, but you kind of, when you delve into the clinical world, we kind of talk to each other, but it's like you, you have this kind of set and you're not like as, um, not, not as open. I don't want to say that because yeah. like we, I am constantly learning. And like, to me, if you're at a point where you think that you know everything, then you're not, then yeah, yeah you're, like you're, you're not doing it right. Yeah. Exactly. That's it. So, um, I think maybe I, not that I thought that I knew too much, but I think that I was like, like, okay, like I'm going to learn what I need to learn. And like, yeah, you're comfortable I'm, with what you that's know. like comfortable yeah. with what you know. And like, you're yeah. learning it, but it's also like, there's a part of you that's learning it for your exams right yeah. and then kind of uh, yeah. realizing yeah exactly and yeah, like i remember yeah. being like okay well anatomy like you learn your anatomy then you're like okay like as if i'm gonna have to know where the insertion <laughs> oh, of that always comes exactly <laughs> and that's yeah. it but then after you realize how important it is so kind of by talking to different people i think i would have maybe realized how important the anatomy physiology court like i was going in and i consider myself to have been a fairly good student yeah. as well but i think it's looking at the practical ap- application and the importance yeah, of kind of knowing that so I think long, like all in all, it would have been maybe to um, pick the brain and networking. Yeah, networking and picking the brain, so kind of benefiting from this. But now I'm still doing that, and like I find it's really important. Mm-hmm. And like as soon as I meet somebody new, I'm always kind of like looking at their treatment approaches, yeah. and so like That's I've really learned cool. that more now, and like I really take advantage as soon as I learn somebody new. And even when I have colleagues that went to do a continuing education course, like they come back and we kind of do these like mini workshops, workshops. where cool. we learn. So that's, that's like really, really important. Cool. So awesome. if you're at a point where you think you know everything, like you're so wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's like. <laughs> I think we're gonna have to wrap it up. Yeah. Um, so Bianca, this is gonna be your chance to plug in all your details. Um. So if you guys want any more information you can also always reach out at me uh the website for uh, the c center is www.c-center so c-e-n-t-r-e dot c-a um, i'm also mm-hmm. working on a project currently um with a, a similar structure in montreal so if there are any healthcare professionals or ets that would like to join a wonderful team of people that are devoted to concussion research management mm-hmm. and treatment you can mm-hmm. reach out to me as well to, so they would reach out directly to you? Yes. Um, well, on the website, the information is there. Um, okay. The C-Center website? Yeah, the C-Center okay, yeah. website. And if not, there's also um, our Facebook page, which is um, C-Center. Um, if you just type that in, it should come out. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So, Bianca, thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. For Thanks giving for having us me. Thank you very much. Some of your precious time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, really uh, 
really Real pleasure to, to have yeah. you here. Um, and uh, of course, uh, we can't forget a we huge, can't. Not huge this year. shout out to CJLO. <laughs> Thanks for being so sick, Allison. And so CJLO is, are the people that provide us an amazing studio space to record these episodes. So we can't you know, get away without thanking them. Yeah. And uh, Joe, I believe you have a little shout out. Oh, yeah. Me. Shout out to Liam, my supervisor performer. I wouldn't be here. Uh, I also want to thank my mama for <laughs> Mama, we made it! <laughs> <laughs> No, but thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. (laughs) Awesome. So if you haven't already, make sure you check us out on Facebook and Instagram, The Watts Podcast. That's a double T. And watch out for our upcoming episodes on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. All right. So thanks for tuning in. Make sure you plug back into our next episode. And until then, stay tuned. Stay tuned. (laughs) Stay (laughs) tuned.